Leah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Is this your first podcast? You've done podcasts before. I've done a few. Haven't you done Andy's podcast? Not yet. What? <laughs> that would be really convenient. You could yeah. just like walk down the hall and just knock that out. Yep. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on and for people to get to know you is because your expertise, I, I want to say just fighting sports, but um, specifically like this idea of self-protection combatives. Um, and this derived, they could derive from many, I think, martial arts and uh, different techniques, but it's like an understanding of like leverage and best ways in practice to defend yourself physically. Um, but you're an expert in jujitsu. I mean, that's your, that's your mainstay, right? But you have a, a broad experience um, in just fighting in sports, right? Uh, some, yes. Definitely mostly jujitsu. Uh, I started with karate. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Had a black belt. In what karate. kind of karate was it? Uh, it was called Tatsudo. It was a Tatsudo. mixed style. It was part Okinawan karate, um, a little bit of Aikijitsu, which is throwing. So there were some throws in it, which I really liked that part of it. Yeah. And then I realized kind of when I got to black belt, it didn't feel as functional as I would have liked. And uh. so I started traveling as I was moving. I worked for the Forest Service and went to a bunch of little martial arts schools in whatever town I was working in. So I did Kung Fu and Taekwondo and Aikido and everything, you know, just trying to find something that gave me a good workout. I wanted to be part of a team again and, uh, you know, kind of have a sport. I liked competing and found jujitsu up in a rec center in Alaska where I was working. It was a really? random With a forest class. service. Yeah, I was working up there with the forest service. Yeah. Well, it's the, the interesting thing is like when I would assume like we started a uh, martial arts, jujitsu wasn't a big thing. I took Japanese uh, jujitsu nice. or ninjutsu, but had Japanese jujitsu was my first experience yeah. in, in martial arts. And then Taekwondo and Kung Fu, I did karate for a short period of time. And I like, um, I wanted the same thing. I was like, I need something. And I, I love the dojo because it had, it was community based. You could build discipline and you could get a good workout out, but it, MMA and this idea or jujitsu and this idea of MMA wasn't a massive thing kind of starting out in, in the journey. Was that just not readily available where you were at or specifically because where you were located with the Forest Service? Yeah, I was in uh, upstate New York. I grew up in upstate New York and the East Coast did not have a lot of jujitsu at all. It still has a lot less than the West Coast. It's gotten yeah. way bigger, but it just wasn't something I'd ever even heard of. And yeah, MMA wasn't really a big thing. Um, so as I moved out west, you know, I started encountering it and had an experience in that little tiny class where I was held down by basically kind of a mediocre middle school wrestler. You know, there was this kid in the class and we were drilling side control, you know, getting pinned from the side. And he held me down the whole drill. He was a lot lighter than me. And I was like, I was a wilderness ranger at the time. And I thought I was kind of a badass, you know, and I was yeah. traveling around by myself. And this like child held me down basically because he knew a little <laughs> wrestling. And I was like, oh my gosh. What is happening? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I better work on this because that's oh really bad. I've just been walking around where, you know, a child could hold me down. <laughs> It's really, I think everyone has a similar experience their first time in jujitsu. They get, you know, tuned up by some skinny oh, nerd, know. you know, it's and horrible. you're like, oh my gosh. My, my recent experience last year, last or two years ago, when I kind of came out of injury, I'm like off and on with my neck. And uh, Chad Robichaud's son, Chad Robichaud is a, a black belt in jujitsu. And I think he comes from a Gracie lineage um, out of California. But his son is a, a, a purple belt. Oh, no, he was at the time, he said brown belt. Um, and we start rolling. And this ki this kid's like, he went into the Marine Corps, but it's like 120 pounds. And he's super skinny. And we start rolling and he just, he got, he had better technique than me and started rolling me up. And I've been out of the game for a while. And I'm like, ooh, I need to get back in this. And, yeah. then, and then I started paying, I'd started doing it more and more and more. And then Chad started working with Chad. And Chad's a smaller guy. And, you know, I could smashed uh chad but he's got better technique more experience and he just rolled me up and i'm like man this is not right i gotta figure this out <laughs> um it did were you the reason 
that Andy got into jujitsu in the first place? Because I know he's like addicted to it now. He's like, that's his thing now, right? Yeah, no, not at all. Actually, our friend Nelson, who is a local sheriff, got him into it. And he's one of those people who's just kind of an ambassador. And Oh, that's right. He told that story once. Reached yeah. out, yeah, to his social media and took him skiing. And while they were skiing, he just wouldn't shut up about jujitsu. They went snowboarding and he just was going on and on. He's like, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I think what made him actually try it is he said, I'm so far ahead of you. I think he had just gotten a blue belt. And he yeah. said, I'm so far ahead of you. You'll never submit me. Like you're never going to catch up now. And <laughs> it didn't go that way, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now Andy's kind of passed him because Nelson's not, he's not training as much as he could. He has a lot of hobbies. But. Oh, Nelson, <laughs> you, you can't do that. You, you got to stay on the, the jiu-jitsu train. On the path, yeah. Um, so your first experience in jiu-jitsu, did it, was it transformative for you? Because you were like, well, this is very different versus kind of stand-up arts where you're, you're doing a lot of stuff not on the mats. Yeah, it was it was very different. We did some it was more of an MMA group the very first day I went in and again this was like a mixed group of whoever showed up at the rec center. And I was <laughs> in my like like karate gi and I wore a white belt cuz I was being super humble. I was like, "But secretly I'm a black belt, you know." And <laughs> these guys did not care. Yeah. And we did a little kickboxing and I got knocked down, you know. I mean, it was all guys. And I was like, "Oh man, we did a really hard cardio circuit and then did some grappling." And I was like, "This is physically much harder than what I'd been doing it yeah. has the what we call it at straight blast gym which I found shortly after that they, he calls it aliveness where you're testing the technique so coach Matt Thornton who founded our gym um, was one of the first people who started the idea of mixing martial arts you know and he was very transformative in that he was kind of early on on the internet and made some DVDs, you know, where Ooh, we're, yeah, I we're, love those. I had we're all those. mixing martial arts, you know, we're doing Jeet Kune Do, we're doing stand up, we're doing boxing, and we're mixing it with jujitsu. And uh, so this class was like that. It was like, oh, we're, we're mixing it together. Cause I, I started to notice in all those other martial arts classes, we're learning kata, we're learning a slightly different way to stand, and no one mm. can tell me why. We're learning a slightly different way to punch. And you have to learn all these routines to get your belts. And I was like, I don't want to learn another kata system, you know, and, I, yeah. and nobody's able to explain to me. I don't feel like we're, we're doing style differences now, but not function, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that was super fun. And I had that experience again, I got pinned, you know, and um, it just, it was what I was looking for. And then my job ended there. I had a seasonal job and I went down to Montana and it, my coach happened to be opening his first jujitsu school in Kalispell, Montana. Um, Travis, that was the first straight blast gym in Montana. And I was really lucky because he came from a pretty established school in Portland or headquarters. And uh, so I was one of his first five or six students and it was actual jujitsu school. And I was only female for quite a while. So that was, it was hard, but it, he had a good culture there, you know, so I was losing, but not getting hurt. And, you know, it was, it was a good atmosphere and uh, it was what I was looking for. It was hard. It was functional. And if something worked, it really worked. And if it didn't, you knew right away. <laughs> yeah. What, what is it that you're drawn to specifically in jujitsu? Uh, just at the, just as a sport, just as an art form, is it the technical aspect? Is it the physical uh, output? Like what, what are you drawn to in it? I felt like it was, it was a way to really push myself fully mentally and physically. Uh, it wasn't just one or the other. Yeah. You have to be on it and both, and you really have to be able to get into kind of a flow state, which I really like, you know, it was why I love snowboarding and it was something you could do every day and the weather didn't have to be perfect. You know, you didn't have to have like a powder day and you just needed, you know, a gi and a partner and you could just kind of drop right into that flow state and mm. be learning a skill as well. So, and they had, I was able to compete too. And I, I did grow up as a gymnast. I grew up competing and liked that aspect of it to be able to test myself. And mm. they, that was part of jujitsu. So. Yeah. Was. So there's a progressive path to it. Mm -hmm. um, did you, did you start accelerating through it and did you focus on gi versus no gi? Like what was your like what was your passion in competition like to assess yourself we did both when we first started the guys that i started training with first were mostly mma fighters that was travis was kind of building more of an mma team than a jiu-jitsu team at that point so we did a lot of no gi um did some gi in there too and i was not interested in mma at the time because that i had been you know in that room of all dudes and i was just like oh man i'm just gonna get tuned up you know there were no females to 
spar with. The first time I actually rolled with a girl was at a tournament, actually. Um, so I didn't want to do that and uh, got more and more into the gi jujitsu, did my first tournament in Montana. I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. I mm. like this and I want to I see how far I can go with it. And you start to have little successes in the gym against the guys, you know. I was like, man... At first, you're just losing all the time, and I thought it was funny. You know, I would laugh. I and they're just like, "What are you laughing at?" I'm like, "This is I'm getting smashed. Like this is ridiculous. It's it's fun." And uh, start to actually almost sweep some people or be able to get out of some positions. Or my guard got good enough finally off my back where I was starting to keep people off of me and submit people who were newer. You know, and oh, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I'm like I like this." Oh, you know, <laughs> having some success finally, it really works. You know. Yeah. There's a there's a point when you first start where you're like maybe this doesn't really work maybe it doesn't work for me you know because <laughs> you just can't do anything at the right time. <laughs> I'm getting smashed constantly. I can't <laughs> yeah. figure this out. Yeah. Um. You know. There's there's a whole bunch of ways to com- compete, and there's a whole bunch of uh, standards for that. Um. What what was your specific uh, competitive uh, niche? Was it pan? Was it uh? you know, sports, gi, jujitsu, like what was the actual things that you were doing? And was it local? Was it stuff out of Montana? Um, at the time when I started, so I started in Monta- Montana and then I went over to Portland for about four years and trained at our headquarters there. And there's oh, a really? lot of grappling gyms in Portland. So that yeah. was very cool. I got some great exposure to. So you lived there and you you rolled there. Mm-hmm. Oh, really cool. Yeah. I went out I went back to school. Uh, I felt like I, I wanted to get uh, my classroom teaching it certification because I was teaching science outdoors mainly. Yeah. And I had uh, a biology degree. So that was kind of where I was drawing from that. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll get my classroom teaching. And I went out and I could train still in Portland. Mm. So competed more out there, you know, Seattle area, Portland. And Travis actually had us right away competing um, in Worlds and Pan Am. So it was all IBJJF. Those were the biggest competitions at the time. Now there's so many different super fights and there's all these different tournament circuits and you know, there were a few local and regional tournaments, but they weren't anywhere near. I mean, people weren't coming internationally to compete in those. So we started, um, I, there was another female partner too in Portland. So that was good. You know, that was really helpful. And we started competing and did really well locally. So then we started going to bigger tournaments, started going to Pan Ams and Worlds and medaled, you know, at, at some of the lower belts. I won at Blue Belt, which was cool. Oh, really cool. And then that's uh, a tough blues gotta be a tough circuit it's any match at worlds is tough everybody comes you know there's there's a lot of people from there's people from all over the world that come and compete in that and if you lose your first match you're out you know half of everyone that shows up loses their first match so even winning your first match is an achievement especially being from a smaller gym they seed you really it was now it's by points but at the time it was like if you were from an unknown gym you were probably going to have one of the tougher people first yeah so that was pretty cool, you know, and I competed all the way up, did Worlds, Pan Ams, um, got to Black Belt, and I medaled at Worlds and Pan Ams. I got uh, bronze at Worlds and silver in Pan Ams. And oh, nice. I won Masters Worlds at my division, so that was my better, probably my best competitive year. And um, somewhere in there, I was like, you know, I don't, I feel like I, I'm a black belt who can't really fight again. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I can fight on the ground, but I didn't have much stand up or wrestling or clinch or anything. So uh, I started doing MMA and, and kickboxing at our gym again and did a couple MMA fights, did a couple amateur MMA fights that were really great experience. You take a lot of damage. People don't realize even if you win a fight, it might take you weeks to recover. Yeah. You know, concussions, broken nose, you know. Yeah. That was my my second fight and it was like I won but it was it yeah. was a long recovery and I was in my 30s my mid 30s and I'm like okay I can't do this competitively I can do it for fun you know I can do it in the gym but yeah. um it wasn't something I was going to pursue that way but because of the amount of damage that yeah, taken. yeah yeah concussions and just um the the wear and tear on your body it's a hard it's a hard sport oh, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. you know <laughs> it's a short-lived sport yeah, yeah. Um, so we, when you, were you experimenting to see if potentially that could be the path for you is, was jujitsu just like a, cause you have all these other things going on, like the science, the, you know, you're, you're in the fields, um, with, with the, uh, uh park service and you're doing all these different things. Was this just the part-time thing? And then at some point you're like, huh, maybe I want to do this more full-time. Was that, was that a consideration for you? Yeah. So I was in Portland and I taught high school for a little while. I taught high school in a classroom and it wasn't a great fit for me you know yeah I, I was still I taught snowboard lessons for a long time too and I was just kind of doing too much I was 
teaching snowboard lessons on the weekend at Mount Hood and I was teaching high school full time. And then I was trying to train for worlds too, for brown belt worlds. And it was just like too much, you know, and just Mm kind of ended up like really damaging my knee, kind of blowing out my knee that year. I didn't get asked back to the job I was at because I was just balancing too many things, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was hitting kind of summer school and I went to Europe and trained with Matt, who's the coach in Portland, and Mm -hmm. he takes his brown belts to Europe and you basically battle everyone in Europe and he decides whether you're a black belt or not. <laughs> oh, wow. So we just traveled around and my knee was pretty damaged. I was like, I was just rolling with like one leg basically. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not going to just stay home. You know, I'm going to go. And um, so I did what I could. And then I was like, maybe I do want to do this more full time. And I happened to, I called Travis when I came back just to, you know, check in and talk with him, I would go and train there every year still, even though I was in Portland. And he said, you know, I have a full-time position here. And I was like, for jujitsu, like coaching? And he said, yeah, you know, we, we need more people to run the gym because it had gotten huge in the time that I'd left. It had yeah. grown and grown and grown. That four-year period that you're going. Yeah, yeah, we have five. There are five SBGs in Montana now. You know, oh, wow. off that one and like 12 black belts. It's wow. crazy. Yeah, there, were, there was no, not really much jujitsu there. To and they were the with. first one in Kalispell. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So you take this job. Yeah. So I take the job and I'm like, I'm going to compete and just push this as far as I can and compete and coach and train full time. So I did that for about four years, you know, had that year that I felt like I reached my competitive peak, you know, just at my age and everything else. And the next year I did not do nearly as well. And I don't know if it was overtraining or just not recovering well. I was lifting a lot more and I don't know. It just wasn't as good competitively. So I said, okay, I think I'm going to be done with the adult division and just do, now I just do it for fun. Now I just do masters and just to keep me accountable, keep me sharp. You know, I I haven't competed in two years, but doing masters worlds in September and I realized I got a little complacent. You know, you end up just kind of coaching and rolling around and not really pushing your own technique for me personally. If I don't have, you know, a tournament or an event coming up, it's a little harder for me to yeah. It's hard. It's hard when you're in a instructor position. Like people are like, how do you stay dialed? I'm like, I teach a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I, I'm talking about practical shooting or, or, or tactical training. And, and then I, I typically run a stress shoot where, uh, I used to compete against all my students and beat everybody. And then if I lost against usually one guy in the class, that's, you know, has a, a diverse background, I'm, I'm like, what is going on here? And then I realized, oh yeah, here's what's going on is I'm not actually doing anything besides training. I'm not, I'm training people, which makes you sharp in training people, mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily make you start sharp at, at the skill set or the, or the craft. Yeah. And, um, when I got back to it, um, I thought, you know, I was like, maybe my eyes are getting bad. Maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I'm just like not be able to move fast. And that's part of it, but it's like, no, I can I can still move. Some of the best shooters in the world are like old fat guys from <laughs> USPSA. It's crazy. So um when you when you had that uh peak, what were some of the the efforts, the lines of effort that you think made you the best in that particular uh competition year? Was it your diet? Was it I mean it was obviously a combination of a lot of things, but what were some of the things that made you that good that year? I think I let a lot of other things go, you know, just being completely focused on training. You know, I was training two or three times a day in pretty much jujitsu, you know, and competing as much as I could. Um, And traveling, I was still traveling and training at some of our other gyms, you know, still doing seminars and things like that, but um, just not focusing on anything else. I mean, not really having that much was of life. A, that, not having really a social life, not traveling yeah. for anything but jujitsu, you know, just not drinking, not partying, just just waking up, doing jujitsu and recovering pretty much. You know, I mean it was like that's what you have to do <laughs> yeah, to, to be, be at best. that level. Yeah. yeah. You don't you don't do other things. You know, people it's are crazy. like, oh do you want to go for a hike? And I'm like, no, it's I'm recovering, you know. <laughs> Wow. So I didn't really snowboard much, which I love snowboarding, but I didn't snowboard much those few years because it was just like too much on my knee, too much on my legs, you know, and it was like, oh, I've got to train, got to train the next day. So wow. just, just being that into it. And I'm sure you've had periods of time in your life where you were that immersed. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Those are the, the glory days. I'll, <laughs> I'll never get those years back. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways you're 
letting a lot of other kind of real life stuff go. You know, people are always like, oh, you, you know, I got my black belt in six years. People are like, oh, it's so fast. And I'm like, well, if you run into someone who did that, they probably didn't do some other adulting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, yeah. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I didn't, you know, I was in school for some of that time. So I wasn't working full time. When I was in grad school, I trained a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, though. It's awesome that you get to experience that as yeah. a whole. And then that makes you a better teacher, too, I assume, because, you know, that whole, I, I mean, a lot of people want to be teachers and instructors and professors. It's like you have to have that experience to speak upon. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. You have to have a time where you were kind of that into it and trained a lot. I've, I have I know some people who are just really good at the analysis and academic part. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard for them to coach competitors, though. Yeah. Yeah. You, so now because you said four years you did the instruction. Was that there's a was there a separation in your teaching? After the four years? Uh, no, so I, it's been, gosh, it's been about eight years now. Oh, okay. And so yeah. I've been just coaching, teaching full-time, but I just, I shifted over to coaching as my focus, not competing. Oh, got it, got it, yeah. got it. Okay. So, and, and I know your one of your personal passions is training women and kids as well, right? Yes, absolutely. Those are two groups that I feel are most vulnerable mm-hmm. and need, they need self-defense, they need that confidence coaching and you know kind of posture and situational awareness and a lot of jujitsu schools don't have any kids in their school or they don't have any women in their school either you know it's just guys who are already kind of out of the box more able to fight more dangerous more physically able they're like oh yeah jujitsu is for men you know and i'm like they don't need it as much (laughs) you know i think yeah i think it's it's awesome for men, you know, and I, I teach classes where I have most of my students are men and I really enjoy teaching them. But my kind of purpose, I feel like being in this profession is to accommodate more women and, and help kids that are, that are doing jujitsu. So what do you, what do you think, um, what do you think it's good for children and women to learn jujitsu as a whole outside of I mean, obviously there's physical benefits, but what's what's some of the mental benefits of um, training jujitsu for kids and, and women? I think there's a huge resilience component mm. where you're put in those really difficult situations each class and you're failing in a safe environment. You're failing in a oh, safe, supported environment. So you're yeah. layering on that ability to make it through difficult situations you know, and to recover, to lose, learning to lose and how you handle that on your ego. You know, the kids were constantly working with them on that because it's so hard. You know, a lot of adults that can't cope with losing or something not going their way. So if they can learn that when they're little, things don't always go my way and I'm going to be okay. And I can continue to have a growth mindset and continue to push forward and, and uh, do it differently next time. You know, tell them we're going to think about what went well, what could have gone better, what can I do differently? It's okay to be upset, but we're not going to take it out on our teammate or ourselves, you know, which is also important. That's so interesting. Yeah. If you, if your resistance is to, uh, your ego in losing, you'll just lose more. It's like the more you fight back emotionally in jujitsu, the more you lose. You get really upset. You lose your breathing. You're not thinking about the technique or what you're doing. You're just, you have to maintain, it's good at very good at, like you said, resilience and Teaching composure. That's what yeah. I think when I started jujitsu as a teenager, it it made me realize um, that I had to have a calm about me, that grit or emotion wasn't going to get me through like I thought it was. I was like, if you just try harder and just, just see red, yeah, just see you, red, just bro. see red, get, <laughs> get gritty and and just do it, suck it up and drive on. And and the more you do that, the more you just get choked out. Uh, it almost like intentionally, like I mean, you'll literally expose your neck more you'll you'll make gross mistakes you, you'll lose your breathing i mean you'll be a muscle failure like it's all those things and it, i've seen people you know. that as competitors you know and adults they hadn't worked through that yet and it was like they were having two fights they were fighting themselves and oh, they were fighting the person in front of them and you don't have yeah. room for that especially at a high level yeah and you could see it too it's so yeah. it's so uh visceral like you could be like oh that guy's yeah he's gonna lose fighting you fighting see the veins in his up. neck and he grits his teeth and his jaw starts flexing and you're like oh he's not that's not gonna happen yeah um when i when i think about family preparedness kind of with phil craft and the things that we're doing 
um, you know, there's a big push for law enforcement to learn jujitsu, especially, um, I mean, period, men, women, um, but because it gives you a, a better understanding outside of resilience and mindset uh, of how to control the body. And a lot of people don't understand how to leverage and control, uh, especially if you're dealing with like a suspect or and you have institutional protocols that might not potentially work with people who are crazy, you know, people who are on drugs. And so jujitsu gives you a lot of opportunity and physical defense to kind of navigate technique and, and, you know, again, like balancing your emotion. But that's like a combatives segment of jujitsu, right? So how do you make a translation from jujitsu as a sport, as an art form, and then roll it into combatives? Like, is there a transition? And is that something that like you've looked at uh, as like transitioning jujitsu? Like, hey guys, we're going to kind of add some mixed, like you said, practical application or realism or function to this. How do you do that? How do you translate that for people in self-protection? I think just, uh, we call it jits with hits, you know, so oh, just doing open-handed slaps, you know, putting, putting gloves on every once in a while and just making sure that your head is in a safe position, Yeah, doing more clinch and stand up, you know, wall work is a really great safe way to do wrestling and takedowns and kind of have that real world application. There's always a wall somewhere typically, you know, yeah. if you're inside or there's cars or anything. So can work it that way. And we'll put it into our classes sometimes. Uh, our Whitefish Gym has a Jits with Hits class where they're they're rolling with punches. So you, you have to narrow what you're doing and keep your head in a little safer spot. You have to try to get back to your feet more often. Yeah. It just, it takes a little bit of the, the sport aspect and the art aspect out of jujitsu. So you have to kind of tune that a little bit. And I always tell my students, we'll teach you the fundamentals and you can express what you want in your jujitsu. So if you want it to be super functional for self-defense, I have some law enforcement guys in our class, then when you roll, just do techniques that keep you in that safe position, keep you on top, keep your head in a good oh, place yeah. um, and be in a spot where you can hit and can't get hit back, ideally. Yeah. It doesn't always work out that way. You have a lot of experience with, um, obviously, women's um weight deficiency versus like a, a man like a man who's 240 pounds you know we in in self-protection with firearms we say hey that that is the one tool the firearm that can balance the playing field especially if you have no technique or the guy's a superior weight and force um how how important is it for people to understand jiu-jitsu as it comes to kind of the disparity between sizes, just alone. I mean, I, I'm assuming you see that in the in the gym all the time. Yeah, 240 pounds is a lot, Mike. Yeah, a, a fat butt. I got a fat butt. <laughs> That's I'm you. Yeah, I'm oh 240. <laughs> Dense bones. People are like, "You're 240, Mike." I've been 240 for a while. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, not every, not all the guys are 240 either. So, yeah. you know, you've got to use timing and leverage and yeah. be a little bit ahead of your partner. And if I'm training with someone who's that much bigger, I'm definitely prioritizing getting on their back, staying on top if I can and um, keeping keeping more distance for sure. And jujitsu works, you know, you can tell exactly how big of a person you can pull something off on. And, uh, it's built for smaller people, you know, it, yeah. it, it does work that way. So, you know, I have a lot of female students and we do have a women's only class. Mm. Um, I've recently written a little manual on how to get more women in your gym, how to keep them in the gym. And then oh, cool. there's a, a, curriculum that I attach to it for both a beginner and an advanced class. And I think it just, it only adds to the community. If you can get the moms and the sisters and the daughters involved in your gym, the guys are going to train longer. Yeah, um, It changes the culture, I think, in a good way at yeah. the gym. And uh, you're teaching your community members to protect themselves because they're not always going to be around the guys. You know, mm. they might go somewhere by themselves with a daughter or, you know, women are they're not constantly with a male companion. So you need to be able to take care of yourself. And just the way that you stand, your posture, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, uh, your posture, your eye contact, how you carry yourself will really dictate whether you're selected as a victim or not. So oh, we talk a lot about that when I do a self-defense program. How are you being perceived? We actually practice walking 
And I've had people leave my program. They're like, I thought we were going to learn some ninja stuff here, you know, and you're teaching yeah. me how to walk. <laughs> That's so impactful, though. <laughs> I'm like, listen, if people are bothering you, they're looking at you and they're making an assessment. Is this person that's going to give me a fight or is this a person I can pick on and push around? And it's the way you're standing. It's the way you're carrying yourself. It's your gait. You know, is your walk smooth? Is it, you know, is it faltering? You know, teens are really bad with this, especially teen girls, because they've grown so quickly. You don't have full coordination yet. So shoulders are slumped arms and legs are not moving smoothly, you know, so those are the ones I really work with. They don't want to raise their voice. We work on using our voice as a tool. If you tell someone to back off and you mean it, yeah. a lot of times They'll that go, oh. might be a difference. Oh, this might be more of a fight than I thought, you know, even though this person is smaller or maybe wasn't carrying themselves with a whole lot of confidence. But you'll have sm small people that they seem much bigger just because of their, their voice and the way they carry themselves. And that's not a person that's going to be selected as a victim. Yeah. So we work a lot on that and, um, you know, not being in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, just recognizing what's around you, who's around you, are the people you're surrounding yourself with in your life making good choices? Because if they're not, they're eventually going to pull you into those bad choices, even though you might have the best intentions or feel like you're helping. So we, we talk, we talk about that and then we do the physical techniques. Um, and uh, I think that's, again, a really important part of my work and bringing those ladies into the jujitsu gym. Maybe they don't just do the little self-defense program, but they train a little bit longer. They start to have a community with the other women there and start to be able to pull some technique off against stronger, bigger, heavier attackers or training partners, which is really empowering, gives you a lot of confidence, changes the way you stand, changes the way you think of yourself, you know, and you have a realistic expectation of what you can pull off and what you can. It's not fake. You can't fake it. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, uh, the, there's a big discrepancy in my company with the lack of an escalation of force based on like statistical probabilities. Like we, we focus, most tactical companies start with a gun and it's mm. like, the start point is, you know, the start point is don't be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Then situation awareness and then everything else scaling to a physical confrontation. And then if you're in the worst case scenario, which is potentially deadly force, that's another thing. And then you're at a decision point to make that. It's like a criteria of go or no go. And then there's so much more that happens. And we tend to focus on the sexy. It's like, I'm drawing the pistol and hitting the steel from 10 yards and showing on Instagram. But it's like, there's so many other things that are so important. Like you said, like the behavioral dynamics of how you, you know, let the world perceive you, you know, it's, which is in your control, right? I mean, you don't have to have a good posture and normally, but if you're in a situation where you're conscious to it or deliberate to it, then maybe you can make it a habit and just do that all the time. Like people are like, well, how many fights you been in? Like, not a lot, because people don't want to screw with a dude who carries himself like he can kick some ass. And you, you know, and 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 if you want to be a victim, do the opposite of that. Like set yourself up for failure, but not having the right posture or using situation awareness or head on a swivel. Yeah, and you'll see. I've encountered women like that. You know that we've you've gone out at night. You know, it'll be a friend sometimes or. I had this experience where I worked concert security, and we had a female that was hired, you know, she was just doing temp work. She got hired off Craigslist and she just, the way she carried herself, she was just repeatedly approached all day. And I kept moving her and moving her, you know, so she was encountering less and less people. And I finally moved her, you know, inside the VIP area, you know, at this gate that was not really going to be used very much. I walked about five feet away from her and a guy walked right up to her and was like too close, being inappropriate with his speech. And I had to go over and tell him to back off. It's like, you need to leave her alone, but she couldn't do it herself. She couldn't do it with her words. She couldn't do it with her posture. Yeah. And it was a problem all day. It was, and then that's her life. You know, that's a problem for her all the time. Yeah. So I want to find people like that, you know, encounter people like that, or if they come in, help them move through that, move out of that, surround themselves with better people, become physically stronger, become more capable, and it'll change their life circumstances. You know, it's, it's a cool thing to see. And you'll see it even in the span of two hours. Oh, yeah. Their posture change, the the way they're thinking about themselves change. They'll feel like they have a few tools in their toolbox. They'll be able to raise their voice by the end. 
you know, and I say, if you can't yell in here in a group of women where you're supposed to be yelling, you're not going to be able to do it when someone's standing over you in a parking lot or something. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately, if a female is victimized, you know, and it's going to be eight out of 10 times someone they know. It's yeah. not a random person, you know. People think it's a stranger or it's someone who just drifted into town who's very noticeable. And people who are accomplished predators do it in a way where it's difficult for them to be caught mm. and they'll get in close to people first. So they'll get into your social circle, they'll be at a house or a party that you're allowed at and they'll talk their way into the situation. They're not gonna be running at you with a knife or something. Yeah. Those, those people are mentally unstable and easier to spot and easier to avoid. It's the more accomplished predators that I think that takes a little more practice and time. And we talk about that too. You know, I talk to the ladies about that. I talk to kids about that. You know, if someone's trying to separate them from a group of people, yeah. um, you know, predators need privacy and control. Get that from the Gavin DeBecker book, you know, The Gift of Fear, Protecting the Gift, both really good resources for that kind of stuff. And so if you can make sure that your child understands that if someone is trying to bring them away from their friends or the rest of a group, that's a really powerful lesson and mm. that it might be someone they know and that's still not okay. You know, and if they feel uncomfortable to validate that, not to force them through that, if they don't want to hug someone or they don't want someone close to them, that that needs to be okay. Yeah. You know, that to force them through that social discomfort because that will become a problem later on when someone approaches them who maybe they kind of know or as a coach or whatever, you know, and mm -hmm. has bad intentions. They need to be able to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going that way and feel comfortable talking to you. Yeah. It starts with that conversation, even just the, the just the awareness that that's a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it, cause if it's, if they're not even aware of it, then they're just haphazardly navigating the world and then becoming victims themselves. So at least giving them that information. Now that's, do you run curriculums for both women and children as separate? Is that how you do when you're teaching kids? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I teach children's jujitsu every week. We have classes that start at three years old, which is amazing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's so awesome. <laughs> You'd be amazed at what they can do actually. <laughs> little three-year-old drunk kids <laughs> yeah, just run, much. ramming into each other. Giant heads and little arms. <laughs> <laughs> really three years old yeah so fun it's it's oh amazing people wouldn't believe how much jujitsu they can actually pull off they, there are certain positions and certain things they can start learning right away and they remember too They'll my remember kids the turn words. three very soon i'm going to have to come have yeah when i come out there I'm gonna have yeah to we do a 45 class. minute class it's super fun and yeah. then uh we go all the way up to teens <laughs> that's so funny uh so i do that every week and then every once in a while we'll do kind of uh bully you know bully awareness type things oh, i'll cool. do kind of a blend of a i wouldn't call it stranger danger but more like situational awareness for kids yeah. with a little bit of kind of bully proofing material because it is i think unethical to teach children that they're going to be able to fight off an adult not that they shouldn't fight but there are some martial arts that teach you know if you punch someone in the throat and kick them in the groin the you're going to drop yeah. a grown adult male yeah. which is not accurate it's a self-defense myth you know yeah. uh and so we don't teach them that you know if someone can pick you up and run with you you're not going to win their a fight against that person yeah. but can we be loud? Can we use our voices? Yes. Can mm -hmm. you be comfortable talking to your parents if someone's making you feel uncomfortable? Yes, we can do that. And they can definitely win a fight if it's someone within, you know, 25, 30 pounds of them, you know, yeah. another kid. So we work on that. We work on, you know, tackling or doing a double leg, on get, moving under a punch. You know, we do that as part of our curriculum every few months. And mm -hmm. so they're working on that, dealing with someone who won't leave them alone with their voice. We have the kids raise their voice and look another kid in the eyes and practice that, you know, mm. eye contact, good body language. You need to back up, leave me alone, you know? Yeah. And a lot of them can't do that. Really? It's amazing. Oh yeah. It's some of them are so shy and so uncomfortable just using their own voice and looking at someone in the eyes is just not something they're capable of yet. And teens are, it's really rough to teen girls. It's hard to get them to do that. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. They don't want to make a social scene and they've been coached not to be too loud, not to be rude, not to be make people look at them or judge them harshly. So they don't want to, mm. they don't want to draw attention to themselves. And that can be a real problem. Do you so, see, do you see uh, 
fast breakthroughs in those teens after they're trained where they're all of a sudden the lights, you know, the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh yeah, and now they're yelling or is it a more progressive thing with them? It's usually more progressive. It's usually mm -hmm. more progressive. If I have a two hour program, by the end they are louder, but not mm -hmm. screaming and yelling. And I've had, I've had girls that I've trained for years, you know, and by the end of a couple years, they look like a different person. They're, really? they're carrying themselves differently better eye contact, better gait. They're just stronger too, yeah. physically stronger. You know, if they're not doing any other sports or anything, like the core strength and the strength they start to get from moving another person around is is really good. So yeah. it's it's really cool to see. And I, again, I feel like that's kind of my life's work. Yeah. I, I, you know, segueing into kind of our plans, one of the things that I was interested in is adopting some of your, I mean, I don't want to change any curriculum, adopt your curriculum for Phil, Phil Craft clients who are looking for this kind of stuff, because that's the start point for us, you know, like, you know, health, wellness, like taking care of yourself, but also being able to push and pull and understand like leverage and how to physically handle yourself in a confrontation is important. And you guys are going to do, I don't know how early this is to talk about, but you guys are doing a 2,500 square foot space in Kalispell. And um, we were thinking about pushing all of our mats to you. And then that's your private space to kind of do content and stuff, right? Yes. Is that, is that too early for that? Well, I, I think that's I mean, the plan. It's not, it's I got not briefed last yet, night. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it'd be a cool place uh, on top of the dojo if available to potentially host you in training um, especially because our our market is like demanding it because they're like, where's the physical Kabatas training? We try to do it in Arizona. We try to do it in Heber City, and I had a guy back back out the last minute. And it's it's a difficult thing to have static. That's that's your only focus. But being able to do periodic classes with you even if it's traveling around would be amazing because it'd be a huge opportunity for us. Yeah. I'd love to do that. You know, try to, I'm trying to expand my reach a little bit beyond, you know, I love teaching at my Academy. I have over a hundred students a week uh, that I work with. And from now I'm with, I'm with five and six year olds, five and six year olds up through adults. So yeah. I get the whole range, which is very so cool. Awesome. Uh, we have a ladies class, a ladies team, which I love working with them and uh, would love to kind of bring the sport to more people. Cause I think it's, I think it's really impactful. Yeah. It's, and it's desperately needed as well, mm -hmm. especially in this day and age where I think everything is based off of your experiences in virtual reality and not in re real reality. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like the alien where the head is real big, the eyes are big, and it's got the little suction cups on the fingers. <laughs> like sad we're, hands. <laughs> yeah, we're literally evolving into that <laughs> because we just we we have just forgotten that we live in a, a real world that's da potentially dangerous. I mean, statistically, it's uh, looks like a lot of the violent statistics of crime are getting more dangerous, especially in uh, heavily populated areas, which is crazy. Um, what do you what do you see in the future? for all of this with you and this journey? Cause like, you know, you, you've committed to this full time. It's your passion. It's no longer a hobby. It's like your career, your profession. Yeah. Um, how do you evolve in this profession? And what does that look like in five and 10 years? I know that's a lot to think about, but I mean, professionally, what does it look like for you? Yeah, for me personally, I want to help other gyms build up their women's population. Oh, nice. So again, I just kind of released this little manual on how to do that. Is that and on your website? Is that on your website? It's on, yeah, it's on coachleabjj.com. And Coach that's free. Coachleabjj.com. Mm -hmm. And it's L-E-A-H. Yep. Bjj.com. Yep. Okay. And that's free. And again, it just talks about how to get more ladies in your gym, how to keep them, and um, some options on curriculum. And then I'm going to release a video series that goes along with that curriculum. So if people want to run it, they have an outline and then they also have video content so they could do it themselves. There's a lot of coaches are like, well, why would I want to do that? And then how do I do that? You know, if I don't have a female instructor already, they throw up their hands and they say, well, I can't do that. I don't have, I don't have enough women in my area that want to do jujitsu. 
And what they don't realize is they have moms and wives. Of all the men. <laughs> and daughters. And they're coming in the gym. And some of them are more consistent than their male students because they're bringing their kid in every yeah. single week. And they're sitting there for two to three to four hours watching jujitsu. They're at a tournament every weekend with their kid or their husband standing there and watching. Interesting. And they're like, oh, well, if they wanted to do it, they would do it. And I'm like, no, they're seeing a bunch of 240-pound men sometimes out there rolling around and yeah. they're thinking this there's not a place for me but if you run a beginner class you know which i have a curriculum in there maybe i had one written for 13 weeks or you could do it twice a week and do it shorter and at the end of it we basically showed them the fundamentals and at the end of it i had the girls do their first matches with coaches i have enough female coaches upper level female coaches that they could do their first matches with another lady and we would invite them to join the more advanced classes, which are mixed classes. Mm. And if they missed a class, they had to make it up in the mixed class where there were some guys, you know. And so they had to start to integrate and they realized, oh, it's not that scary. They mm. brought a partner with them. So they had a partner. And some of them are still training now, you know. So you can kind of transition them over. Some of them will move into my advanced women's class. And it just kind of eases them in. But it gives them a space. And... Mm. Other people who are like them to start their training with, it's really hard to learn jujitsu with someone who's a lot bigger and stronger than you. You need kind of a partner your size-ish to start because you've never done the moves before. And so if you run a class at your academy for moms, wives, people who are hanging out at the gym, it'll fill. Trust me. You yeah. know, because they're those ladies, a lot of my women who are training consistently now, they were somebody's mom, you know, that was at the gym or somebody's girlfriend or wife. And they were like, you know, I want to try it, but I'm afraid or I don't feel like there's a, a place for me. You know, I don't feel like there's a, a place for me in the class. So if you make one, they'll stick around. It's interesting. It's you're like a jujitsu consultant because I mean, that, a business consultant, because that is, I mean, we, we took on that idea with self-protection because our market is, I mean, three years ago it was all men. 99% men. So we're training 10,000 people a year, all men. And then uh, I had a conversation with Amber, um, who is uh, our director of family preparedness, with just that tactic. It's like a deliberate approach. It's like, how do you communicate to women? Because it's different than men. How do, you, how do you incentivize women to come? Because when the women come, actually, if you target market women and they're like, I'm coming, I, it, I'm going to put myself in a situation for self-protection, for self-defense for whatever we're doing. And when they go home and talk about it, all of a sudden the men are like, well, I want to do that. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize you're taking a tactical course, like shooting guns and protection. Like, yeah. And then they're instantly the whole household flexes to do that. But it's not the other way around when the men does, when the man does it, <laughs> he comes back and he has this, all this information. Like, what'd you guys do? Nothing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to know anyway. You know, it's like, don't worry, I'll protect you. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm the man of the house. I'll protect you. It's like, um, there's a thing there where just like a catastrophe is an equal opportunist, family preparedness should be equal for all. It should be, you should be getting your family involved in jujitsu. I, I mean, think so. it, yeah, it, like bring the family to the dojo day, you know, like yeah. I, I think that's super important and impactful. And if you look at it from a business perspective, I do often, when you look at just even the numbers and the access you want people who are bonded in community anyway. So why would you not target the whole household because it's beneficial for everybody in the house? Right. I and think, yeah, it's huge. How many, how many training partners do we see go by the wayside because their girlfriend or wife or family feels like they're spending too much time at the gym? Yeah. Like, I don't get to see you enough. You're spending too much time there. Even if it's not many days a week, they're yeah. like not tolerating it. And it's, they haven't been in there, you know, or the, if they have been in there, it's just like another part of their day where they, are their time is occupied and it's not for them. Yeah. You know? They're and, on a surf cell phone while the person's right. rolling. It's like, yeah, they're uh, they're just having to run back and forth and run errands while the while everybody else is at the gym, you know, training. And it's like, well, I just have to come back and pick everyone up. And it's just, you know, another inconvenience instead of being, you know, a, an opportunity for them to have something to do for themselves, to get yeah. stronger, to get more confident, to have a sport, to have a community. Women have larger social communities in general, they ha they make um, deep social bonds. They'll, they'll need that social support a little bit more. So yeah. to have a women's class, I think really helps with longevity too and helps them make that transition from a beginner program to 
now we're we're training in a mixed mat. There are not many other sports where men train directly with women. Yeah. If you think about it. And then this one is so crazy because you're actually grappling, you know, you're wrestling and it's totally normal to mix the men's and women's communities in a jujitsu gym and you don't really see that anywhere else. So it's kind of a it's a big deal. It's also hard, you know, it's really cool because you know that everything works. Um you form really deep trust and friend bonds with your training partners. Uh but it's it's challenging to get into, you know, if you're a smaller, weaker individual, you know, all your training partners are going to be stronger, faster, you know, bigger. So you've mm-hmm. got to have some kind of on ramp. It's it's very possible, but you've got to, they need a little bit of help and the more support and friends they feel like they have, like if they can come with a friend or come with someone that's also a mom or also a wife, they're going to be more apt to stick around. I love that. I, I mean, I never thought about it that way, especially as, as you understand evolving in the sport and in the space as a woman, you've identified all of the, the kind of errors that are being made with a lack of women in dojos. I don't think I've ever, I mean, I, I grew up in the nineties and then, spent most of the 2000s doing jujitsu in the military and i don't think i've ever rolled with a woman no I way i don't think i ever saw one i, I rolled at team rock <laughs> team rock in fayetteville which is pretty pretty popular under greg yeah. thompson and um i was uh i think it's under a machado uh lineage and i was like reflect when you're saying that i was reflecting back on the women that we had and i don't think we had any yeah. I, I saw it at the tail. Like I see it now. Mm-hmm. A couple women it's that roll. Changing. That's it's changing. changing. I yeah. mean, I was the first. I was the only girl at my school for a while. And those those smaller gyms where it is only twenty year old guys. You know, they're rolling pretty hard. There's maybe not a beginner program. It's very hard to bring people in who are oh, yeah. older, smaller, female. You know, just maybe not a, the strongest person in the room. Um, and then then you end up weeding students out instead of attracting more students. And it's like, we want to, we want the sport to grow. We want everyone to be able to do it. We want to be able to make someone who is weaker, smaller, more confident, stronger, more capable, uh, when they walk in, not weed them out because they weren't the strongest coming in. That's not what martial arts is supposed to do. So I think having a kid's program, having a women's program, you can still have a gnarly competition team of 20 year old dudes who are going at it you know in yeah. that in that gym there's a time and a space for that i think it's part of a healthy gym community but i think there should also be a place for the other 50 percent of the population <laughs> everybody's like everybody who's a dude dojo owner they're like bing like oh my god we're gonna be rich um when when you uh when you do this type of thing um is there a contact form or from people can could they get a hold of you like i'm assuming a lot of people who are in our space i know there's a lot of jujitsu practitioners on your website is there a point of contact form to be able to ask questions and stuff like that or is it yes just, so okay. my email's on there there is um it has some other programs that I offer, so you can book a program through the oh cool through the site and online programs and in person programs. All in person right now. I'm going to be releasing that first video series probably in the next couple of weeks. Oh, awesome! Uh, awesome. Attached to that ladies' curriculum, and again, it's just how can we how can we run a program for the ladies that are standing in the gym every week yeah. and convince them that it's okay to be on the mat and they don't necessarily have to jump right in with the guys. And some of the ladies I had do that program, they're never going to have jujitsu as a regular sport. Yeah. You know, they're going to do that 13 week program, enjoy it, understand what their partner's doing better, feel a little more capable, have a lot of fun doing it. And they may not do it after that. And that's okay. They just get a little taste of it and, they, they have a better understanding and they're more capable, you know? And then yeah. some are going to be like, I love this. I want to keep going. I want to compete. I want to, I do want to train with the guys and kind of see how it goes and they'll stick with it, you know? I love that. And it's nothing but healthy for you. It's yeah. not like there's nothing bad about jiu-jitsu. No. It's like all good stuff. Those ladies had so much fun when I ran that class and they're doing it in all the other gyms in Montana. They're doing a similar program. They're like, oh, how do we, how do we help those ladies? And we have a great beginner class too that, we have a lot of ladies in there in any given day. So that's awesome too. It's very, very accessible. You're just drilling first. You're not rolling. So I think that's helpful. Um, but yeah, they had so much fun. They were laughing hysterically, you know, and it should be that. fun. It should be fun. It's awesome. <laughs> it doesn't I, I, have to be scary. Yeah. It's not scary. Once, and I, what I love is when the, the transitions made, people are like, 
I'm going to do this forever. Like, this is my new thing. They, they enjoy it. It helps if a lot of women have passed trauma too, a yeah. lot, a lot yeah. more than people think. You know, it's supposedly, you know, one out of every five, but it's very underreported. Assaults are very underreported. Um, and so the contact part can be really hard, you know, to jump onto a mat with guys. You know, if they've done trauma therapy, they might be at a place where that's possible, but triggering those traumatic events in your mind you're reinforcing it you know you're not it's not therapeutic it's actually damaging yeah so they have to be in a place where that's okay and some of them it's better to start with women and they'll be able to work through that and work their way mm. up to moving into a mixed open map but to just start and it's like okay i'm getting pinned down by a dude right now like that's not gonna that's yeah. not a good way to start it's not okay it's like jumping into the deep end with sharks you know so yeah. they've got to slowly move into it and maybe need some therapy too. But those are people that it could be transformative for them. And it's not accessible if you're just throwing them in. You're going to need a little bit of help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about the opportunity to be able to host you with Philcraft and then um, see where that takes us. Because, you know, I have a, I I told Andy this because he didn't even know until like a couple podcasts ago, which that's how we live our life via podcast. <laughs> When's the last podcast we did where we talked about this in depth that I was a big jujitsu guy, but I never talk about it openly because of my injuries. I mean, I've been, I've had, you know, my hamstrings ripped off the bone on my right leg. Ugh. It was pretty a horrible injury. And, uh, I have a compressed disc in C5 and C6. Um, and then he convinces me to do like seven jumps and seven continents in seven <laughs> days. What could go wrong? Uh, what can go wrong there? Um, but I, I want to get back into it because I want to get my kids into it. Um, and, you know, they're going to be three in a couple of weeks. I want I want them to get into that circle and also my family. I want to I want it to be a family thing. And I want to be able to even teach them because I used to teach jujitsu as, awesome. as an army guy. And now I'm feeling healthy again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I, and I was talking to you about this, it's about finding the right partner because the the times that I have been injured, the times in special operations where I've had broken bones from people punching me at like 30% and like Oof. breaking my ribs. I'm like, what? We're 30%, man. You broke my ribs. <laughs> 30, Eric Geyer, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what I'm talking about. We were in training and he punched me in the ribs in a sparring match and broke my rib. Um, but it's like, uh, this is a huge opportunity for us. And especially in the, the world of family preparedness and understanding how to better self-protect. Um, I think we'll be able to do that within, uh, a couple of months. I mean, I think maybe this fall or Mm -hmm. even late summer, we could easily put that together in conjunction with the release. I mean, this podcast will release next week. Well, by that time, your videos potentially be releasing, which yeah, will push I out the so. week after, and then maybe setting up something in mm-hmm. Kalispell first off, or in even even in Heber. I'll yeah. leave half the mats in Heber so we could do something there as well. Yeah, I think that, that would, would be, be exciting. That would be awesome. Again, I want to kind of expand expand the group of people that I'm able to teach and help, and then who knows, maybe a Fieldcraft Kids program. I, I would do. Cool. I would love. I get chills. Like I love. <laughs> I the missing the missing component for me that would uh, would make me happy for next year is uh, kids. I want a kids survival program, a kids resilience program, and a kids jujitsu program. I'd love to be part of that. that oh my cool. god! I can't wait. That'd be exciting. How do people get a hold of you? Like, what what's your social outlets for people to kind of see what you're doing? Uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I usually answer all the messages on there so that's uh leah leah taylor sbg underscore sbg and then uh coach leah bjj.com is the website and that has all my my contact my bio my how to book a program all that kind of stuff awesome i'll put all that stuff in the show notes guys so you guys could cheat and just go straight to the links below. oh yeah and there's a there's a blog on there it's attached to the website but it answers a lot of common jujitsu questions so i I start to get the same questions over and over so i just started writing out the answers awesome Mm -hmm. awesome maybe we could do a little couple shorts too we we, uh we'll put them on philcraft survivals instagram just introducing who you are and stuff it'd be it'd be cool i think i think a selfishly i'm taking advantage of this relationship because i want more people to know who you are Mm -hmm. because out of all the people in my network in my friendship group nobody is a 
female who teaches any type of combatives or martial arts or jujitsu, mm -hmm. which is it's a missing component. I used to teach uh, outdoor science, outdoor science education and survival skills to kids, actually. So, really? Yeah. Because your uh, your background in yeah, forest service. Yeah, forest service, and I, I worked for the Audubon Society in Portland, and we would do camps. We would do what camps have you not out done, for a Leah? week. What have you not? <laughs> There's done? a lot I haven't done. Trust me, that was very very focused on kind of science education and jujitsu. Yeah. You're, you're the female Andy Stump. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not say that. You're not going to catch me jumping on anything that's moving. <laughs> he's flying it. He's jumping it. He's doing it all. Yeah. Um, but also, I should let people know because I made the uh, affiliation. People might not know this, but. Uh, very soon you'll be Mrs. Stump. Yes. Which weeks. is exciting. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to say that. I'm like nervous, <laughs> but excited. <laughs> I'm like, should I say that? Am I allowed to say that? But You're it's, I'm excited. It's exciting. Yeah. I, I can't wait to be there for the wedding. It's going to be amazing. And um, I'm so happy for you guys. It's thank awesome. You. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. I appreciate you being on the podcast and, and thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Peace.